We're going to start in our second week here in this series we call, uh, we're calling One. And I want to say as we jump into it, and we had a lot to do and a little time to do it, so I might go kind of fast, I'll go too fast, you know, just hold your hand up and say slow down, and you won't do that, but I'll just say I act like you will. Uh, and, but I want to say that this first week is so, or the second week is so important. We talked last week in John 17 about Jesus' prayer for us. Those who would believe in his name, the timelessness of Christ's knowledge of our salvation in him and the reality that he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. So we talked about that. So the series is called One. It's rooted in Jesus' prayer for his people. We might call it the church. We might call it those who are gathered here who are believing. And we're not saying that everyone is, right? We're working on our faith with fear and trembling. We're wrestling with God and what it means to believe in him and live out our faith. The reality is that um, this is Jesus' prayer for us. And, and then I want to say that we're going to get into some very practical things in this series. Okay, we're going to about eight weeks in the series, very practical stuff. But we have to start here with our rootedness in who God is. And so today, not that it's not practical, but it's more theological, right? Annette shared a little bit about misunderstandings about God can malform our faith. I don't stand up here as one who says, I understand this all. As a matter of fact, I told someone this morning, as I studied this week, it, I, I, as you enter into the reality of who God is, it, it's, it's overwhelming. And, and that's not a fault of ours. That's the, the design of who we are and the reality of who God is. He's beyond our imagination, our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations. That's why so many times when we pray, he won't answer our prayers because his are so much bigger than we understand, right? He has bigger plans than we can imagine. And so today we're going to um, spend some time in the Word, and we're going to talk about this oneness of God. Um, and then, again, I want to say to you, that what we're doing with this series is, and all, all year, is we're going to talk on Sunday mornings and we're going to try to apply it in family groups. So I can't encourage you enough to, to consider a family group and jump in and get involved. It'll be, it'll be awesome, okay? Last week I put in your connect, on your engagement sheet, Ephesians, what is it, 4, 4 through 6, right? And, and as a memory verse, I don't know how many of you memorize scripture, and I'm not trying to push that on you, but boy, it's a great thing to store the word of God in your heart so that when you don't have a Bible handy, it just comes out. You know, there's something in knowing scripture, as Annette has said this morning, that helps us in our walk with Jesus. That means in our following after the divine creator of the universe, like, if he gave us this gift, why not store it in our heart? Okay, so I'm going to have a little exercise, a little time for some interaction, right? You guys ready to do a little talking together? Too bad, because we're going to do it anyway, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to read this verse together. I'm going to ask you as we read this verse together to what stands out to you, what one word stands out to you. Here's the verse from Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Here we go. You ready? There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. Right? Have you heard that before? I know for some of you, like, to say things in community like that, it's odd, right? Why, why, what is that? But these are God's words to us from his scripture, direct Right? Right to us. What one word stands out? One. <laughs> you know? It's like the head over the head verse. You know what I mean? Like, and Paul wrote this letter, but it's like, listen, church, one, one. Why? Because we have such a tendency to divide over silliness, over our own 
pettiness. And, 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 and there's just only one reality of who God is. And this is what we're going to talk about today, the oneness of God. And the reason, I'll say this one more time, the reason is because when we want to be united in Christ, we have to rightly put God in, the, in his place as one, as being one God, okay? And so we don't want to be um, heretical in our approach in that, all right? So I'm going to pray. We always pray as we enter into God's word that he would reveal himself. We, we believe that God inspired it to be written in the Bible. You may not agree with me, but I believe that, and many of you here believe that. And if he inspired it, in spite of our own lack of understanding, he can inspire us to understand it and apply it to our lives, that's why we pray, okay? So join with me in talking to God together. Father, we've come here to worship you and we continue in prayer. We've prayed several times today already in the service. I pray this is not the last time today we pray. And when we leave the service, we continue to talk to you. What does that mean? What are you doing? Where are you at? Because God, you, you are worthy of all praise and honor. You alone, all creation cries out to you as our Father, as our Creator. And we only want to join in that chorus. So today, Father, we ask for your help. Take, take away our little thinking. Remove our smallness of mind today when we, we think how, how uh, we are incapable because with you, we are capable. You are with us. And we receive that promise. We believe that promise today. Father God, for your glory and for the good of your people, have your Holy Spirit be teacher today. Have your divine word be present in us, through us, above us, and around us, that we can more fully know who you are, and that we would not be those who would follow false religion, but those who are following the one true God. May you do this for your glory, and for the good of all the people of the earth. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God is faithful to answer that prayer. I, I want to say the first thing off the bat, and if you grab one of the connection cards or the engagement sheets, you're going to see it on there. The first thing I want to do right out of the gate is, is give a warning, okay? And the warning is like this. Not all gods are God, all right? The danger I see coming into a, a topic like this, the one God, is that we live in a culture right now that would have you believe that all gods are the same, as a matter of fact, no matter who you find, it's, it's discouraging because no matter many people you find all across the spectrum are willing to compromise on this principle that there's not a true God. And, and when you and I enter into a conversation with someone who is of a different faith than us, we should be asking that question, who is the true God? We have to be open to be corrected by him, but we have to be willing to proclaim that there is not a multitude of gods. There is not a multitude of gods. And so I'm working this concern more from a, 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 a philosophical, worldly perspective. I just hear it too much. All roads lead to the same place. Everyone's going to get there somehow. And, and, and I've said to you before, and one of my favorites is even atheists, who, when they're confronted with the question of what if God is real, they'll say things like, well, he should have been clearer. <laughs> How insulting to the God who made everything to praise him. How insulting that the creation would speak back to the creator God in such a way. Not all gods are God, okay? And the first thing I want to share is from Scripture. And Paul writes the same thing in 1 Corinthians. He says this, We know that there is no God but one, right? For even if there are 
so-called gods, little g, notice it, whether in heaven or in earth, and listen to what he says, as indeed there are many gods and many lords in our life, things that vie for our worship or our attention or our obedience. This is what he says, yet for us there is but one God. Yet for us there's but one Lord. And, and, and this was written in the middle of the context of talking to people about what's okay to do and not to do, the legalism and all that, the many things that would call you to bow down and worship. But Paul says, no, we have but one God and we have but one Lord in Christ. So that's the first thing. I want to share with you a cultural analogy, which is so rampant and yet broken. And maybe you've heard it before. And it's this. They say, there, there are many religious leaders in the world, and say there's five of them in a room. And one guy walks up in this dark room, and he feels around, and he, he finds something, and he says, oh, this is very big and flappy and leathery and thin. I know what it is. And he calls it God, right? And then someone else is in the dark room, and they go, no, 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 wait, wait. It's not flappy and thin. It's round and large and massive, and it can't be moved and then someone else is like, no, 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 wait, wait. It's kind of snotty and weird. It's got holes in it. It blows on me, right? And then someone else is like, it's got this wispy thing, and it keeps slapping me, and it stinks back here. I don't know what it is. And people will tell this story, and they will see, you see, there, it proves it. You see, all religions are the same because they're all describing the one true God. Here's the problem with the analogy. Have you heard that before? Yeah? I've heard that so many times. This is like the default. This is, this is why nobody really knows. We're all in a dark room. Here's the problem with it. It presumes that somebody sees the whole elephant. Tim Keller pointed this out, and I was blown away. It, and this is the, if you want to talk about you know, people who are dogmatic about their faith and people who are dogmatic about their science, they presume to stand outside of the equation and see all of reality. And Tim Keller says rightly, there is but one person who sees the whole picture. And who is that? God. <laughs> you know, so if you think you see it, well, all the idiots are clamoring in the room saying the parts they see, and you go, ha ha, but I see the whole picture. All roads lead to the same place. You believe you're God, and you believe everyone else is less than you. Now, it might be fair for you to say, now, wait a minute, so you're going to now tell me what God's really like? And it's just your opinion about what God's really like, right? No. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to see what the Bible says God's like. And I'm not even going to say you have to agree with that, but I'm going to say you have to choose. You have to choose to believe if what the Bible says about God is true, or is not. And, and as long as I've looked back in the creation narrative, I've never seen God force a choice on anybody. You know, he's like, here's the truth. And God is revealing himself through the truth. This is the beautiful part about our exploration of God. And so I, with you, don't pretend to stand outside the context and see the magnificent realities of God fully. But I do believe that God is revealing truth to us. And we can walk into those places and know God fully. And I hope that you'll agree with me. So I just want to share it with you because I thought, man, that for me was so profound. 
None of us stand outside of the context of creation. None of us. Not one of us. So all of a sudden, we have to go to someone else beyond us. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Bible this morning. I'm going to share many verses with you. you. I can get these to you later. I'll be happy to get you. If you go to a family group, they're going to have all these verses I'm going to run through this morning. And so we have some of them on the screens, and I'm going to ask some of them to be looked up in the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one and get it in your hands and get ready, okay? Because we're going to look at it. The first thing that the Bible teaches us is this. There is only one God. And I want you to notice again, as in this whole series, the number. There's only one. One, one, one. Only one God. This isn't, you know, high philosophy. It's just a fact. One true God. If you look all in Scripture, it's over and over again in Scripture, but I have a few I want to share with you. The first comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. This is the command to Israel, the, the beginning of the book of law of Deuteronomy, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? I mean, it's like the very first thing. It's, it's called the Shema, and it's like, listen, our God is one, Israel. We have but one called monotheism. There is no God but God. And no God but God deserves worship and praise and adoration or obedience. No God but God deserves those things from anything in creation. There is but one God. This is something that, that uh, you, we would teach to our children and we would believe in our hearts and we would live out of in our lives that there is only one God. Another way this verse can be translated is there is no God but God alone. And, and there's other places in the Scripture where it says this, no gods beside me. There are no gods who are beside me. Check out Isaiah 43, 11 says this. I love this. Listen to the repetition. I, even I, am the Lord. And I want you to notice Yahweh, right? L-O-R-D. And apart from me, there is no Savior. This is Old Testament, right? Isaiah, the prophet. I, even I, am Yahweh. And apart from me, there is no Savior. He alone is God. There is no God beside him. And again, Isaiah the prophet in 44, this is what the Lord says, Israel's uh, king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, listen to the way he describes himself, I am the first and the last, and apart from me, there's no God. Yahweh, creator, beautiful, speaker of universes, alone, is God. I, I can't even begin to share all the places that the Bible says this. And it's not just Old Testament, but I want you to see the reality. There is but one God. And this is true for you and for me as followers of Jesus. There is but one God. And I want that, that's what you walk out of here with today. There is not many gods. There, there's one God. And he's Lord and King over all of my life. All right? Now, as we go along, and if you're following your notes, then the next thing is about us as Christians, okay? And this is what I've put together, that we follow Jesus as God. And that becomes a distinctive from other faiths who don't follow Jesus as God. If you want to have a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with you, you get to this point and almost everything falls apart. And if you get beyond this point, you're probably talking to a Christian, <laughs> If it's big G God and one God, if you're so far, if you're together, then all of a sudden you're on the same page with a brother or sister because this is a big truth and it's, it's a hard thing for people to deal with. I've, I've just seen it over and over again as I've engaged with people. This is where it breaks down. And we follow God as Jesus. I'm going to ask you to turn, if you will, in um, your Bible to um, John 17. Let me see if I have it on the screen or if I have the 
Yeah. Page 754. Go ahead and flip there real quick. We read this and we, we talked about this last week, this whole prayer of Jesus, this last third of the prayer, a, a prayer for us. But I want to remind you of what Jesus said himself in his prayer. Starting in verse 22, this is what he says. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That's us, by the way, all believers, those who are believing, that they may be one, and here's the key, as we are one. Again, one. Jesus says, just like we are one, I want them to be one. And if we read on in 23, I in them and you in me. This oneness, this wholeness, this completeness, this perfection is the reality of Jesus as God. And, um, and that, that speaks, now I want you to flip back, I don't, you mean, I don't need to flip back, maybe you do, to verse five. Because I want you to see, we just said that the God of all creation said, I alone in the Lord. He even said there's no savior apart from me. I want you to see in 17 verse five, this is what Jesus prays at the beginning of his prayer. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence, listen, with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before the world began. I want to take just a minute and talk about, he doesn't, when he says before the world began, he doesn't, the, the word isn't earth. <laughs> you know, like there could be a, a, the glory I had with you before the earth began. No, it's cosmos, right? Before everything started, Father. I had glory with you, oneness, unity. The reality is, and, and this is, again, something that's testified over and over again in Scripture, so I'm not pulling it. I can only pick a few texts, but you'll see it over and over again that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Nothing was made without him, and through him all things were made. This is about Jesus, the Word made flesh, the manifestation of God in flesh to us fully God, and we believe that, and we worship him in that way. Check this out, and this is beautiful. This is a little awesome scripture. It's from the letter to the church in, uh, in Colossus, I think. You're probably wrong. Coloss, maybe. Colossians 2, 8 through 9. See it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition and principles of this world, okay, rather than Christ, now, I want to stop for just a second and say that this is what religion turns into. And I want to say this. It can turn into that for us. It can turn into deceptive philosophies and hollow truth, like, which is no truth, you know, that depend on human tradition and principles of the world rather than on Christ, Messiah, anointing. Listen, in Christ, that's Jesus, the Messiah. Paul clearly made, made that statement. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's a very elegant way of saying he's all God. He's God in the flesh. And, and I'm making a big deal because this part of the conversation will break down for people. Because now all of a sudden, it's not just some elephant somewhere. It's this real person, this real historical event, this real salvation, and this real need to make a decision about what you believe about God's revelation. It's no longer this thing that we can all pretend we know, but none of us seem to know. He, in him, in Christ, is the full deity, the full deity. Amazing, amazing truth from the, God, the word of God. So we follow Jesus as God. Now I'm going to press on this third 
kind of idea, and I'm going kind of fast. Oops, I went by, by it. Uh, and that's this. And we worship him in three, we see him as God in three distinct persons, okay? And I put persons in parentheses because I don't have any better way of, of saying that, all right? Like, the, and I, you've probably heard it before, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit um, and try to flesh it out because I do, I don't want it to be some kind of like, Oh, because it's really deep and it's really hard and it's beyond our understanding, honestly. And I'll say that again, it's beyond our understanding. But the truth is that, the, that this is the way we see God revealed in Scripture, okay? I'm gonna take you first to this event in Jesus' own life who was the full deity, right, as we just heard. And it was Jesus' baptism. Let me see if I can find that here. There we go. Okay, and I love the story of Jesus' baptism. And by the way, I'm gonna put in a plug for your own baptism. If you've not been baptized as a believer in Jesus, I would encourage you to do so, right? It's not magic water. I love that Annette shared about the, we're casual but not, you know? Like, it's just ordinary stuff, but it's holy because God says it's holy, you know what I mean? So we go to the rec center and the pool and the slide and we do baptisms or we do it out of the park or we do it in people's backyards. I mean, it's not a joke, but it's also not like this magical, you know, thing. Um, but I love this, it says, uh, in Jesus' baptism, as soon as Jesus was baptized, it says, he came up out of the water, and heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a work, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. And I want to point this out for one reason. You've probably seen this before, but here, in this moment, this baptism of Jesus, the full deity in the flesh, we see the manifestation of God the Father of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit. It, and you go, well, who is this for? Did Jesus need to see? No. Remember the prayer? Restore me to the, the glory I had with you in the beginning. Us. This Jesus is the Messiah. When he came to John and said, baptize me, John says, I'm not even worthy to touch your shoes. And Jesus says, no, baptize me. If you've not made that decision in your own life, I would encourage you to pray about that. And I, I, I just leave it there, but God works in amazing ways through obedience. And there's something about submitting to that. And there's something about dying to yourself and being raised to new life. And there's something about your sins being washed away. And there's something about a redemption story that goes beyond that. And words spoken over you that manifest themselves in your life because of God's grace to you. It's not a ritual. It's not a magic dunking booth. It's Almighty God speaking over his children. Mine. That the world may know. This one's mine. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. And it's a beautiful reality of who God is. His fullness of being. All right, I told you we're going to run through some scripture real quick. We're going to take a quick biblical tour. We're going to go front to back. I'm going to start it pretty easy. We're going to start in the front. Are you ready? You guys are probably like, it's coming out of my ears, man. Make it stop, you know. Check it out. It's not going to be real hard. I just want you to see, because I want you to think, Bill's making this stuff up. He's just saying what he wants us to think. Please don't leave thinking that's the case. I want God to teach you the truth today, not me. I want God to teach me the truth. Here we go. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, is what my translation says, was hovering over the waters. The, the, in other words, the, the wind of God was moving in the creation narrative. 
You got God, the creator, manifesting. And you remember Jesus said the glory that was from the beginning. Check it out. In verse 26, as, as the kind of the end of the first chapter of the Genesis creation narrative, Jesus, or the, the word says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, boy, that's beautiful, and let us, uh, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and um, the livestock and the earth and over all the creatures who move along the ground. He says, let us make man in our image. That's cool, right? We already said that Jesus was the, the, the perfection of the deity in human form, and yet that was a reminder of who we were made to be in God's creation narrative, his perfect children. It's unbelievable to me. Now read with me, and, and some of you might be going, now wait a minute, I didn't have all the parts that Jesus had because I'm a woman. That's right, is that awkward yet? You and Jesus had different parts. Listen to what the word says. So God created man in his own image. Listen to the creation narrative. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Like, it's not a mistake. He's not like, oops, you know, got to do something else. No, it is God's plan. And he was creating us in his image, us, Adam and Eve, this beautiful, and there's so many things out of this series we're going to come to that's going to speak truth to our lives if we understand that principle that God made us in his image to be glorifying to him, to be fully redeemed, to be whole in Christ. That's different, and it changes everything, all right? Check it out. Next one, moving forward, right through the Bible, Isaiah 61.1. Flip there, if you will. It's on page 517 if you use one of our Bibles. I'll see if you can beat me there. I'm going to go really slow. Okay, here we go. Love this verse. Isaiah the prophet again. This is after we heard earlier about the oneness of God. says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, right? Adonai, Yahweh, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor was like forgiveness of debts, forgiveness of sin. I mean, it was forgiveness of wrongdoing. It was a fresh start. And this is what Isaiah says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, right? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, I'm gonna ask you to flip again with me to Luke chapter four, verses 14 through 16. I'll give you a minute to get there. 718 in your Bibles, if you use one of ours. This is Jesus. He's in the temple. He's, he's at the, the um, uh, synagogue for worship. And he's called up. And in chapter 4, verse 14, we'll pick up the story. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Look at that. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom or habit because he was worshiper. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. And unrolling that scroll, he found the place where it was written. 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and release to the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's fair enough. He's just reading some scripture. You heard it yourself, 20. Then he rolled up the scroll. He handed it to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone and a synagogue were then fixed on Jesus. And he began teaching, saying, Today the scripture is fulfilled when you heard it. Me, Jesus, God, Savior, Redeemer, Hope, Restoration, Lord, God in the flesh. There was a great rebellion. You can read about it. People were amazed and freaking out. Nobody says that they're equal with God. No one says they're the same as God. I want to share one more verse with you. We're going to end up almost back where we started. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John 4, 23 and 24, page 742, if you use one of our Bibles. Jesus is talking to a woman by a well. You probably heard that story before. There's a whole bunch of context you can read around it. But I just want you to hear what Jesus said about the truth of worshiping Yahweh, the creator God. And this is a truth that God's just been pounding into me lately about false religion and true hope. And this is what Jesus said to this woman at the well. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You have Jesus, the Son, teaching about the reality of God the Father and the requirement of the presence of the Spirit because there is no separation in God. There's no this and that. There's no you turn off this faucet, you turn on that faucet. It's God with us. He says, a time is coming and has now come. Has now come. This amazes this woman at the well. Not only does she not believe she deserves this kind of redemption, but she doesn't even understand because she knows the promises that are made. I know about the Messiah. The time has now come as Jesus is teaching to her. The reality is, and I hope you see it, that it's one God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, one God. And, 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 and for us to try to divide and cut, and, and I said three persons, that's weak language. That language fails, right? It's weak because it can't get to the adequacy of the reality of God. So here's the final three thoughts, and I'll just say these, that God is all equal. Now I'm gonna confess right now, that's a dumb thing to say. There's only one. He's without equal. Like he, but to, for us to put, you know, some kind of a structure in place and, you know, who, who's the most, you know, highest and who's the, the one that's here and all that, that's our understanding as a human encountering the reality of God, but he is the same God. He's equal. That language is broken. Our, our, we can't express it adequately. It's probably a poor word choice. Second, he's distinct, you know, these the reality of Christ in the flesh as Jesus is distinct, and that's a mystery. 
and the Spirit's presence with us, the counselor that Jesus said, if I didn't go ahead, I wouldn't be able to send the counselor to you to comfort you and to correct you and to lead you. That's distinct, but yet not divided. It's just a distinction. And then the third and the final point, right, is he's all one. One God, one truth, one Lord, one Savior, one faith, and one baptism. So we have the Heavenly Father who calls himself the Savior and the Redeemer. Let's not miss it. We have Jesus the Son who calls himself Lord and the Savior, right? We have the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, who is counselor, the deposit and seal for our salvation. One, God. We have God, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. Listen to the way he the great I am, the great I am, the one true God. Trying to, um, there's just no way to really express that fully. I hope that that gives you something to chew on. I hope that when you go to family group or you go to your lunch after this, you sit down, I've always wrestled with that. There was this analogy, and I don't know, John, did you get that thing for me? Where's John in here? I don't know if he got it or not. Well, that's all right. There used to be this white stuff all over the place called snow. You know, I sent him out to retrieve some, but I don't know if it ever got here. But uh, interestingly enough, right now in California, there's a drought. There's a drought in California because there's enough snow in the mountains. Have you heard this? The snow in the mountains acts as a reservoir. You know, we think we were the ones that invented building up tall towers of water. It stores the water that waters the earth, okay? And, and when that melts, it feeds the desert lands. And people, some have said that this is, is comes close to the reality of the oneness of God, that in the Father we have this storehouse of treasures, this promises of glory, this reality of heaven and present with him, right? In Jesus, we have this one who came to be with us, the reality and manifestation, the one who would speak as one who had authority, who blew people away and healed ailments. And then the third would be this vapor, and the analogy's broken because God's bigger than his creation. But it's this person who's around us, who we breathe <sighs> all the time. Believers, non-believers, deniers, haters, lovers, breathing in God, the reality of his presence with us, his revelation. The thing is, it's not necessarily so important that we understand all those, but that we understand this. In Christ, we have a chance not to know about God, but to know God. And that's what I want to end with. John 3.16 says, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But I want to share with you John 3.6, before Jesus taught that, this is what John, he said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. One God manifesting for his glory and for your good. Today, if you don't know him in that way, I invite you, not before me or before this church, but before the holy sovereign God who is here right now with us to confess that. I need to know you. If you've discounted parts of your life, if you think Jesus is punching your ticket so you get to heaven, you know, and you don't need the Spirit every day in your life, if you think you can live in a spirit and deny the cross, if, if you think, you know, you can do any of these things and deny the Father, like, repent. Stop doing that. 
Because there's only one God. And he's above us, he's in us, and he's through and around us. And our job is just to acknowledge that and follow him. Pray with me if you would. Father, we did not come here today for high, heady knowledge, to get all full of ourselves about what we know. We came here to know you. And I, I pray, Father God, that with everything in me, that we would cast off the little G gods, the things that vie for our attention, our worship, the things that would say you must listen to me when they're not Lord, they're not Savior, they're certainly not God. I pray, Father, that we would set our hearts right before you. For my brothers and sisters here today who don't believe you fully, who, who think, man, maybe, but I don't know, you know, maybe this is wrong, I pray that you would reveal in their heart the truth. We don't want to hold people prisoner. We want to set people free in Jesus' name. We do not want to be an oppressor on the side with the enemy. We want to be a freedom, you know, sayer, just speaking the truth of the gospel of their lives. May you be glorified for their response, not us. May you manifest your promises right now when people are praying. You manifest the beauty of who you are in their lives, not for us and certainly not for me, but for your glory and the good of all your people. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.